What is going on? Welcome to the very first edition of GTT Backstage, Mondays with Mish. It's one that I'm the most excited about. This is Mish. I'm here with her. She is the Mish in the Mondays with Mish. Um, <laughs> she is a phenomenal advice giver. She has credentials um, that I'm going to let her tell you about um, that back up why you should listen to her sound advice. But I'm just going to tell you from an anecdotal experience situation, uh, I've done therapy. I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit this. Um, I have uh, had lots of advice givers within life. I'm not sure any of them have helped me or been more effective in providing some sound action step, action-oriented steps in order to fix the issues that I encounter within life as I have Mish. So I'm very excited to, to gift her to you public. Um, and we have a number. It is um, something you can call in at any given time. Doesn't have to be now, can be later. Um, it is a voicemail box. It's also, you can text. Um, it is there for you to leave any questions. Only issue being that you need to get them in by Saturday night if you want it to be answered by Mish on the following Monday. You can do a voicemail. It'll be played. You can do a text. It'll be read. It can be completely anonymous. We'll assign a name like, like Anxious Annie or something to you, whatever. Um, but get your questions answered. Take advantage of this. Our number, just so you know, to call is 443-408-8297. Once again, Girls Throw Two Mondays with Mish. Call line 443-408-8297. Forward to hearing all your questions and helping you guys get those answered. I can't help you, but she can. Um, okay, so, well, I can take the calls at least. I can, I can be backstage. Yeah, I'm, I'm the backstage of backstage. I like it. <laughs> um, okay, so um, Mish, I'm sending you the very first question. We got texted in now, and I will continue to do so as we move forward. We only got one voice message so far because it's our first okay. ever run, um, and we'll leave that one to the end. And I'll okay. play that one at the end. But um, here is your first one. And uh, I can't wait to hear your answers. Perfect. Great. Let's do it. All right. Let me grab this question. All right. It says, from Willpower Wendy, exciting that you're doing this. My question is, I know what to do in terms of being present and checking in with myself. But after a while, it starts to feel like I'm having to exercise a lot of willpower to stay with it. And so naturally, I don't. Does this become second nature at some point? What a fantastic question. I love this because what we can often do is turn like mindfulness and meditation and presence and those kinds of things into a practice just like dieting or something that we don't even, you know, that we don't enjoy, don't want to do. So the, the simplest answer to this is that absolutely it becomes second nature, but the only way it'll become second nature is if you allow it to be that during the process. This sounds very counterproductive, but the, the, the truth is mindfulness, meditation, presence are supposed to be non-doing things, non-efforted things. And if you've taken some of my programs before, you'll know I talk about the importance of mastering these things for your results and for your life. But maybe I need to be more clear about the fact that it's not really a doing action at all. Uh, as you just are aware of the fact that this is the kind of life that you want to live, one that is more present, more mindful, more aware, then 
it will naturally guide you to do things without effort. So the first step is just stating that that's what you want. Like, I would like a life that's more mindful, more present, more connected, uh, whatever, your words. And don't do anything with it. Just let it sit there. As, as human doings, we're supposed to be human beings, but we tend to be human doings. Uh, we decide we want something and then we like go after and try to find the things to do. I'm asking you to take a step back and state what you want and give space and time for opportunities and solutions and easy, natural things to flow from that desire. And what will happen, especially if you have confidence and trust that that will happen, that you will be naturally guided to everything you could ever want and more, you take the pressure off having to do things, you start to relax. It starts to become easy to be more present because it's not an efforting thing. It's just what becomes your natural state. And I know it's confusing because technically if you're meditating, you're doing something because you're meditating, <laughs> but we want this to be a natural thing that comes up. Like I'll wake up in the morning sometimes and be like, man, I, I check in with myself and I'm like, I really just feel like I need to like listen to a guided meditation before doing X, Y, or Z. And so it's very easy and natural to press play and do that. What I had to learn was how to ask that question. Because in the past, when I was moving really fast and doing a bunch of stuff and not checking in with myself, I wouldn't really think about what I even wanted to do when I woke up. I would just wake up and either just practice habits or go with whatever I thought I wanted to do without actually asking myself. So that first intention of saying, this is the kind of life I want to live, really sets most of the course in action. And then it's just being committed to kind of the action of non-doing around it. Like, I'm going to allow this to come into my space. I'm going to allow this to happen in its own divine timing. And it might not be in the timing that I prefer. I might want to be fully present tomorrow. And that might just not be the case. Um, but you trust that it will get there. So okay, that's so really Misha, what we want. Yeah. Misha, I love your answers to those questions. I find them very helpful. Um, because this is our very first one, so we don't have the live callers on to have like the back and forth dialogue and question asking, I'm going to ask something that I had based on that answer, yeah. which would be it. If your body, if you wake up and you can't figure out what your, what your body <laughs> is telling you, right. You hear right. nothing there. There's crickets. <laughs> crickets. <laughs> yeah. Like, are there any activities or practices that you can help tap into that and hear what it's trying to tell you? Yeah, it's a kind of a twofold process because if you're very disconnected, it's very possible that you won't receive much information in that moment. That takes a little bit of time of practicing this idea of mindfulness and presence. And when I say practice, once again, I mean setting the intention and saying is what you want. Beyond that, there's not a lot for you to do other than to respond right. to the times when it shows up like, hey, right now I randomly feel guided to go to yoga. I don't know why. I'm just going to go do yeah. it. Kind of thing. So it's like your action is the non-doing. Yeah, your actions, the non-doing is creating space for these things to present themselves. And gotcha. also if you create space, then it doesn't feel so like overwhelming to act upon these things. But if every day you're efforting presence and then it's like, go to yoga, you're like, oh my God, one more thing to do. But if you're doing nothing, quote unquote, and then you get this random, I don't know, let's go to yoga. It doesn't feel like a lot. It's like, oh, yeah. that's the first thing I've done in seven days for this mindfulness stuff. So and for people who are like me, who this doesn't come naturally to, it is difficult to, to, to get into the habit of making that space that you're saying we need. But if you can get there, which I have over time, um, 
a little bit. I'm still not where I want to be, but I'm getting there. Um, it, it really is a, a game changer when it comes to life happiness. My only other question is, where is the line, the thin line between when something feels too difficult, so you know it's probably not meant to be, mm-hmm. and not giving up too soon mm-hmm. on, oh, on what something? What a great question. Yeah, such a good question. It comes down to your emotions. If it feels if it feels difficult and efforted and then you have to push and force, then it's just the wrong thing. If you're not feeling that, but the timing isn't ideal for you, but you're, re- you're fairly relaxed in the everyday stuff. Like, it's not like you're having to push or force, like overall you're pretty peaceful, but you're just like, like, is this ever going to happen? Like, am I right. ever so going to get getting the result you want, but yeah. it's also not taxing. Right. Exactly. Got and it. that's just sit and wait. Like it's just not the right time. Yeah. It'll come when it comes. It'll come. Yeah. You're on the right path. If you're feeling peaceful and relaxed and you can keep trusting that that is always the right path, you should feel like you're floating downstream. If you're feeling like you're paddling upstream, the upstream yeah. you're going the wrong way. We're not meant to be the salmon. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I, I am going to send you a new one right now and go back off camera, but I love these. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Numero dos. Let's go. All right. Hey, Misha and Whitney. So questions I need life advice on. Okay, there's just several here, so I'll go one at a time. What's for dinner every single night? My family wants dinner and I get so sick on the planning, buying, cooking. Any pro tips on making dinner better? Absolutely, Cook Smarts. You have not signed up for Cook Smarts. You should sign up for Cook Smarts. It is something I've been using for probably five years now. It tells you what to cook for dinner every single night, but it gives you the grocery list so that you don't have to pay those expensive companies like a HelloFresh, which you totally can. If that's in your budget, then that's a great solution. But if you don't mind grocery shopping, what CookSmarts does, and you can use Instacart or some of those services too with CookSmarts, but because it's not mailing you food, which is very expensive to mail food, um, since you're going and getting it from your local grocery store, it's only like 10 or 12 bucks a month or something. I, I just pay for the year all at once. Um, but every night it says, here's what you're going to cook for dinner. If you don't like it, you can swap it out for some of the other, um, all the other, I should say, like thousands of recipes on their app. And then it gives you the prep list. So that like if on a Sunday or Saturday tells you what you could prep like several days in advance. So you could have it ready to go on the evenings if you have a later night. And it gives you the grocery list and you can add your own groceries to the grocery list. So you can have one list for both the things from the the recipes and your own personal things that you need for just your household. So CookSmarts is the answer. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Um, Okay, on a more serious note, anxiety. I struggle with anxiety to get it all done. Life moves at such a fast pace and women now Wear so many, wear so many hats. All of it separately is totally manageable. But when I put the parts of my life together, it often comes down to more than I can do each day, which then makes me anxious advice. Also such a great question. The women do tend to hold a lot of the roles in a home. And if you have a spouse, I would definitely recommend if there's even one role that you could give them to own. And I want to be really clear when I talk about roles, I don't mean that that person does that and you don't, and you do this and they don't, because let's say that you give the role of a provider to your spouse. 
And that doesn't mean that you can't also have a job and, and provide income. It just means that it's their hat to wear and you're the supportive role, which takes it off of your plate because it's, it's them saying, you know, I'm taking a provider role and, and then I'll tell you what I need or what I need if I need it. And otherwise it's, you know, your choice to do whatever you do. And then on the flip side, if you have a home and children and you wear that hat, that means you're owning that role. And then your the, your spouse is supporting you in that role, but you wear the hat. So what that looks like in my household, for example, is my work comes secondary to my home and my child, whereas my husband work comes first. So that in a, in a reasonable manner, but meaning that if my son didn't have school on Friday, it's, it's going to be me that figures out what we do. Do I not work that day? Do I find a friend's house to go to? And my husband will just go to work. That's not even a question. So some of that can be, if you can offset any of it to someone in your home and say like, you wear this hat and own it. And I'm supportive of that role. That helps a lot. Now, maybe that's not doable, or maybe you don't have someone to share that with in your home. Then what it comes down to is really being honest with yourself about what the heck is actually urgent. I'm sorry, I should have stopped sharing that a while ago. Um, so it was a long question. I had to really look at it. But what is urgent? So there's a lot of things in my life that I feel pressed to complete in a day. And it's almost like if you think it or write it down, I have to do it today and now. Um, and so part of this for me was just being honest with like, what from this actually has to be done today? Like, what can I... I don't even say what can I put off for tomorrow necessarily, but what's the minimum I can do today? It's kind of the way I approach this. Like what's the absolute ballpark? I have to do these three things. It's non-negotiable and everything else can wait. And what that does is frees up space so that you can do that in more or not. So what are the non-negotiables? What's actually urgent is where I would start with that. You're muted, Whitney. <laughs> I was just going to ask you if you felt like a to-do list is helpful in situations like this, or if that's like more anxiety or stress inducing. Um, I find it myself to be very, I'm somebody who, who digresses from focus, right? So if I don't have a visual in front of me about like what I need to get done, the likelihood of me just going off on a tangent of doing something, even though I set out to do what I was supposed to do, sure. I'll go. I'll go down a, a long path of not, but um, then I did read this book um, that gave like this four quadrant methods. So it's like critical and do soon. Mm -hmm. This was actually when I read it, it was in college. And then the quadrant two is critical, but not do soon. And then you have non-critical and then you have uncategorized, like can happen at <laughs> any time. Maybe I want it to happen, but it's not a priority, right? Yeah. Um, but I think just it, whatever way you use, I agree that I think that like putting those in perspective of what is most imperative, right? Mm -hmm. At least it, it mentally categorizes it now. What if you have a trouble um, categorizing? <laughs> like, well, and I said, that's where- How do you choose? <laughs> that's where it comes to honesty because, and maybe this comes with a lot of perspective. You know, I, I, I fortunately or unfortunately have experienced quite a lot of like trauma and tragedy in my life. And so it's very easy for me to say like, okay, what's literally the most important thing today? And, and also I know what it feels like to be really overwhelmed and I know kind of my capacity. So it's like, well, I know that this could 
possibly be important for today, but it would put me over capacity. So we're going to say it's not that important because my piece is more important. So part of it is getting to know yourself and, and truly your capacity without lying about it. And maybe setting boundaries. Like you do such a wonderful job of at a certain time, you put that phone down, you put that computer off, yeah. right? And, and getting into your safe space within your family and your home and your out of work life. Like yes. sometimes it takes actual like steps like that. You've taught me. Yeah, to, the boundaries. You have to physically turn off your computer. Yeah, <laughs> the boundaries were, um, I should say, hard. But the reason they were easy is because it was blaringly obvious that it, it, it felt right. It felt good to institute, well, it, right? It, it did. It didn't. Right. Like I derive a lot of my identity from working. So and and I'm good at it. So it's like where I know I could thrive in this space. And then I'm not so sure I could thrive as a mom or a wife. Like that's more up in the air. <laughs> but like, I know I'm good at this. So it's like, the more time I spend doing this, the more I sort of trick myself into believing like, this is me feeling my best. But yeah, this is you when, doing what you're best at. Exactly. I get that. Right. So it, I was easy. It was hard to convince myself to step away because it actually, I actually felt the best in this work space than anywhere gave you else. Satisfaction. You felt like you were thriving, right? Um, and well, I've had this issue too. And I've talked to you about this. And my biggest concern is I have insomnia, right? And so I find myself working at late hours of the night when nobody in my home is awake. And it, it seems very lonely here, you know, because insomnia yeah. is a very lonely condition for anybody right. who suffers from it. Um, but I know it's not healthy for me. And the more I allow myself to keep working, the later and later my sure. ultimate sleeping time. Is oh, no, I, I mean, quick. I'm not an, I'm not a night person, as you know, I'm a morning person, right. but if I was working, I could stay up till two, 3 a.m. because I love it so much. And it's, yeah. Very and sometimes you get ideas and you do, right. But that's from sleeping first though. Okay. I might wake up with ideas. That's my mid, that's my 2 a.m. Yeah. downloads. I had a, I had a <laughs> dream last night that like had something to do with our business and I was up yeah, like I know. writing things down in the middle of the night. So maybe have a dream or a journal next to you in case so you don't forget I, I the use ideas. the notes on, on my phone, as you know, because you've gotten many of those emails of my notes on my phone. Um, I can always tell when the th the ideas that come from Mish were done at 2 a.m. versus when, <laughs> done at like 2 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Google Doc versus an iPhone note. Is the Absolutely. Um, but no, what I was going to say is it was really obvious to me that if I worked past a certain time that I could not actually shut down my brain and sleep. Uh, I couldn't stop processing business. So it became um, a non-negotiable that I don't work past a certain time so that I can sleep. And that's a, a long time. Like I have to stop working at five o'clock. It's, it's, if I, if I have to work to six o'clock, even it already pushes me into that, that danger zone of not being able to sleep. Um, I know. And it's a, it, you have to actually be like, just very dedicated. I've learned from you about like, like you said, turn off your computer. So it is such a difficulty to get back on, yeah. right? that you won't do it. You know, you're not yeah. tempted or whatever. Um, and we're talking about, you know, work from home types of, of issues, which maybe is more prevalent with COVID, more, more people working from home. Um, but even but social you, media is like this. It, it sucks saying, people if, in. If you have an office space, but you're not turning your work brain off. So maybe you're not physically doing anything for work, but you're still kind of like, oh, I need to like, you know, email this person about this. I'm going to write that down. Like if you're still like it, the more that you can completely present, transition. Yeah. Now, I will tell you that I don't know if this is necessarily the best advice or the healthiest advice. But what I do is I have a transitionary ritual, which is some kind of 
alcoholic beverage. Now that might not be the best advice for everybody, but I either pour a glass of wine or I make a drink. Now that's, that's kind how of like, you, that's how you have, you indicate to your body that this is now a new, new time in correct. my day. Correct. I love that. So, I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be alcohol, but a ritual yeah. of some type that sort of transitions. Take you, a like, bath. I would you not- could take a bath. You know, you could it's something that you wouldn't do. Like I would not on a normal day, give myself alcohol during a work hours. So it's right. a very obvious, like this now it is indicates no to your brain, the transition between work day and home yeah. life, Correct. which I, I think is important. I mean, it is otherwise, and even with social media, even if it's not work related, it prevents you from being present with your family, with your loved ones right. in the moment. In fact, you've taught me a lot about, even when I go to so the very first ACL tournament I went to, I had my phone out the entire time. That's all I was doing was, you know, capturing content of my experience, but I wasn't really living fully mm-hmm. in the moment of enjoying that experience. And it's the same way when I watch my girls, like on a stage with competitive cheer, if I'm filming, I'm not really experiencing the joy of watching them as an, you know, an audience member. And yeah. so I now go to these things and if I'm at an ACL open or whatever, or, or national, you won't hear from me because I leave my phone in the hotel room and I've had so much more joy when I go to them now for that reason, because I don't feel like compelled to just capture everything as opposed to experiencing it. (laughs) It's actually a complaint of Nick, my husband, um, because I never take pictures when we do things because I don't have my phone accessible if I'm with other people, I do my best to have my phone nowhere near me. Um, I really want to be with people when I'm with them. Um, and there is the, the, you know, the side effect. And I'm like, well, I'm making memories in my mind, but <laughs> there's like far fewer pictures of him. There's no proof of the, did it really happen <laughs> if he didn't post it on Facebook though? <laughs> but, you know, just capturing, like he has pictures of me in Rome because he takes them when I'm not paying attention. And there's far less of him because I don't take them because I just don't have my phone. Yeah, but I bet you, I bet you the richness of the experience that you provided for Rome by not having it, your phone there might, might, and it might long out, like it might long outlast any picture that can come and go. Yeah. And and, and hope so. And like I said, these aren't like, you know, you have to try anything. It doesn't have to be die hard, but I think just tending towards that, that route, I think it's helped me a lot. And I feel closer to my kids since I've learn from you and started to do more of that. And anything I say is for you to try on, right? So anytime you receive right. advice, it's, it's never to take in, it's to try on. So it's to say, how does this no land? One size fits all, I guess. There's not. And, and it could be a, a, a version of what I say. It could be the whole thing it's, lands, but, but just but make hey, sure Can you trying. talk real quick before we go to question three about your credentials, just in case people out there are like, why should I listen to her? <laughs> yeah, so my background is uh, my master's is in human behavior, so studying uh, why humans do what they do. Um, my PhD is called an AVD, all but dissertation. Um, I had to start my dissertation at the beginning of this business venture, and I could not do both. I had to choose, um, so I chose this business at this moment, um, but I finished all my coursework. So it's called an ABD psychology PhD. Um, before that, um, I have my master level neuro linguistic programming practitioner, um, which means the study of the, the language of the brain. So it's understanding how our brains do what they do and why. 
and then also my background is uh, yoga and personal training and uh, food psychology is uh, also in there as one of my yeah. biggest. She, she's outcomes. a very smart person, you guys. And like I said, anecdotally, I can give my experience and that's worth something to some people. Other people need those, those, you know, diploma on the wall credentials, but she also <laughs> has that. Um, and so this is why we trust her. All right. I'm sending you the next one. Okay, cool. Here we go. I will remember to go back to the other screen um, this time. All right. So, oh yeah, you need to share your screen first, Whitney, because um, you have that lovely there, voicemail message. There should be one more. Did you not get that other one I sent about? Oh, did you want to play it though? Because then you got to share your computer. No, I, I'm saying there should be one more text question. Oh, one more text question. Okay, let me yeah, see. Yeah, if we didn't get that, um, I can resend uh, it. Oh, no, I found it. Okay, My perfect. bad. Okay, here we go. Let me go over to this one. Oop. All right. Um, hi, Mish. I need help trying to figure out how to regulate my husband's love for cornhole in a way that doesn't make me feel resentful of his passion for the game. Lately, it feels like throwing bags is all he wants to do. I like to play, but I'd love for us to be doing other things occasionally too. Not sure how to make him understand or how to express my feelings in a way that doesn't help him, it doesn't make him annoyed or defensive. Thanks for the help. Um, so this is actually a great question, not just for uh, cornhole, but anyone that has a spouse that is participating in, you know, things or hobbies that don't include their spouses and therefore it feels like they're choosing that over them. Like if you have three free hours, are you going to spend it doing this or with me and then choosing that thing over you and then how that feels and then realizing that that's something they're passionate about. So I don't want to be the, the thing that tells them they can't do it, um, but also feeling kind of annoyed that they're not choosing you over this thing. Um, so I just wanted to word like that so that this advice is relevant to anybody, cornhole or not. Um, so here's the thing I would say. My sort of go-to, and, and I'll give you this answer and then I'll give you an alternate answer, but I would recommend trying your hardest to join these activities and hobbies. Um, for example, I started to notice that a lot of the guys I was dating were really into football and it caused a problem in one of my relationships because Sunday is literally just football all day and I'll get so annoyed. So when I le left that relationship, I made it a, a, a goal of mine to learn this football thing. Like, okay, how does, maybe the games would be more entertaining if I understood it. So I sat down and watched it. I, I sat with friends and had them explain to me how the game worked. Then I started playing fantasy football. Like I just dove headfirst in. And what that does is it makes not only Sundays really fun for myself and my husband, but I'm so involved now that like I'm involved in some of his group texts with his other friends and buddies who play fantasy. So like I'm fully in the world now and I truly enjoy it. I'm not pretending. I'm not like changing myself to be someone I'm not. And, and I don't recommend that at all. I truly just asked myself if I were to dive in and try to enjoy this, can I? And if the answer was no, it's no. Like it, you don't have to like everything your spouse likes, but it's worth at least dipping your toe in to see if maybe you could join it. So with Cornhole, the exact same thing happened. I could tell like when he got home from work, that's what he wanted to do. And just like you, I would go out there and I'd throw and I'd be like, whatever, like, yeah, we can throw some bags, but I would last a game. It wasn't really fun. Cause obviously he annihilated me. I was not good at all. It's not fun to just get beat. Um, it's also not fun to suck at something like, why would I want to keep doing this? I'm not like, I'm not getting better. Um, I, it's, it's just not very satisfying. <laughs> so what I did 
was I decided that I was going to get better. Like, okay, so I could actually, you know, spend time with my husband as much as we could possibly want if I just learned to see if I could like this game and if I could actually get better at it. Um, and so I would venture to guess for most people, if they don't like cornhole, and I'm way over generalizing here, it's because they don't feel like they're progressing or getting good. It's not fun to get beat all the time. It's not fun. It would be like trying me trying to draw every day and I was just stick figures. Like, why am I doing this? I'm awful at it. Um, everybody starts out awful at things until they practice. Uh, I think if we could remember this idea of the growth mindset that not, not very many things are we just naturally inept to doing. Like everybody has to practice. I used to have this story. I'm bad at hair. Like I suck at doing my hair. I'm never going to be someone that does hairstyles because I'm horrible at it. And then I had this epiphany one day of like, well, maybe I'm not bad at hair. I've literally never learned. I've never learned. I've never watched a video. I've never had someone teach me. I just expect that some women are good at doing their hair and some women are not. And that's kind of dumb, right? Like I've never even tried. Why don't I try first? So I went to YouTube and I watched tons of hair tutorials and I can pretty much do anything now. Um, and, and so I guess my question back to you would be, have you tried at, and not with your husband, like separately for you, have you tried to maybe work on your game and see if you could get better and actually really fall in love with this would be the easiest solution to this? I love that answer because Misha was the same way and my husband was into Cornhole and it was like, you're either going to join him or you're going to lose him. Right on some level. And I don't want to make it sound like it's that a much. It's of not an ultimatum. ultimatum, but I truly felt like I wasn't actually going to lose him. He wasn't going to leave me because I didn't play cornhole. But we were going to slowly drift. We have got. We've been married for fifteen years. We were going to go in directions where I've seen it before. When when he gets into something and I'm not into it, you know, the drift there, and and it slowly, you know, takes its tax on a relationship over time. People all create new friends that don't have anything to do with each other and new socialized groups. Um, and it's just overall just not the best situation in terms of breeding connectiveness between you and your partner. Um, I try to play. I committed just like me. She did. I was not quite as successful as her. Um, so then I thought, how else could I, I really embrace his hobby? I could, if he's looking for a bag out there, a specific type of bag, cornhole bag, I, I can go out there and search for it, put my feelers out, right? Um, for if that bag's available. You know what I mean? There's other ways other than just playing that you can kind of embrace this hobby and, and feel important and feel effective within, within it. Like, oh, my husband only wanted a set of these ACL boards. I got him set. I found them. I searched for them. I, I, I sought it out. I got them. Well, now he's like so excited and we're throwing on him. Now I'm still not throwing any better than I was in the beginning, but the only challenge with that is it doesn't solve the problem of their time. So it's like the question here being, I want more time with them, but they want to spend time doing this thing. Yeah. And so that, that is I... difficult. And I still feel difficult. I still feel difficulty with that because Bobby has no moderation. It's he gets, he's a phase guy, you know? If, it, if fishing is his face, that's all we're doing every day after work and all weekend long. If you're a paintball yeah, so face. Uh, yeah, let me, just, <laughs> let me just answer this 
question and the other perspective because yeah that's what I want to hear the opposite so that so that's one option right to really dive in it with them and and I would recommend doing this finding other women if assuming you're female that you can connect with on this so it's not just about him it really is for you and you creating a little community around yourself Um, okay option two um, the only other way that you can really help yourself feel good when they're doing their own thing is to find your own thing. Now, I know this is technically separate and there still would need to be that conversation of, okay, um, in order for me to feel connected, I need a date night once a mm-hmm. month. I need like, these are my needs to feel connected to you and in clearly stating those, but you won't care as much about him going and playing if you yeah, also have your right. thing that you're really passionate and yeah. can't wait to do. It, and and I'm not, I don't even sense. want to say, I don't even want to say one's better than the other because I think it's a personality thing and it's a relationship thing. But I can tell you right now that if I'm sitting at home, pissed, like just doing nothing and my uh-huh. husband's out having fun, I am pissed. But if he's yeah. out having fun and I'm with my girls or I'm doing my hobby I love, I'm not or so mad. you have something planned tomorrow when he's going to be home. Either way. You know, like something like I mean, that. Something I, I that recommend- makes it seem fair. I would recommend as much as possible to try to do it at the same time. It helps okay. you be less resentful because then you're, if you're sitting at home, you're just thinking you're, you're, you're stewing in it. Um, if you're, yeah, you're right. you know what I mean? So like, and Nick, my husband got to realize this pretty early on, not with cornhole, but with just having a kid together. Like if he had to go do something or like, let's say he got invited somewhere and it was a guy thing. He mm-hmm. would, this is how he'd present it. Cause he's a smart man. He'd be like, I'm, um, you know, I'm going to go to this thing. Um, why don't you call so-and-so um, and you guys get together for brunch? Like, so he knew that if I was occupied, I could care less if he's going to go do something. Right, right, right. It's you know? just when you're home alone and feeling like left out almost. Absolutely. And so creating right. your own, your yeah. own passion, your own circle. Cool. And I will say that cornhole is a great solution for that as well, because you start going to league, you start creating this little family. You stand next to each other by the boards at home when you practice and you start talking more. But I mean, <laughs> separate from your spouse, I'm saying if you go oh. to cornhole league, you're creating a community, a, a group oh, yeah. because a, a social lot of group. people, a lot of people yeah. uh, start to make, find it difficult to make friends and this is like an instant yeah, friend it sucks thing. to make friends as an adult you can't go to a bar and ask for another girl's number it's weird <laughs> yeah so this is a, this is <laughs> um, let me ask you this though problem. the one part of the question that i feel like you could maybe could still touch on is that regardless of what it is when it, she said she had trouble communicating with her husband in a way that doesn't make him feel annoyed or defensive So do you have any tips for how we can approach our spouse about whatever topic it is that we're trying to communicate with them about in a way that would not. It always starts with empathy. So when you're, whenever you're having a conversation, conversation, especially a difficult one, if you started off with empathy, it's going to land on much um, more like receiving ears. Okay. So So here's an example. Um, I told my husband not to buy cornhole bags. Like we were going to buy cornhole bags. We made this agreement. I see on our bank statement, he bought cornhole bags. I'm trying to address this because my feelings are valid. My frustration is valid. How do I do that without him feeling like I'm nagging or, you know, being like annoying? Yeah. So, but, so the way that would start out with empathy is, Hey, I totally understand that you love this sport. I love how passionate you are about things. I know that this is important to you. And I am so excited that you have something that you love so much. It's like empathy. Okay. Trying to put yourself. Defenses are lowered at that point. Defenses are lower, uh, especially if you can try and and directly put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you 
have this hobby that you love so much and you find something related to this hobby that you want so bad and you're so excited about it. <laughs> well, regardless, but I'm saying if you put yourself in their shoes, um, it so the easiest way to connect to someone during conversations or or out is to actually try to be exactly where they are, be where they're and, coming from. And right. That's where true empathy comes from is like, maybe if I was exactly where they are with their exact feelings, I could too do that. What creates defensiveness is when somebody feels any type of judgment. So if you're like, what's wrong with you that you keep doing this? Okay. So mm-hmm. now it's what you're basically saying is that I wouldn't do this. I'm better than you. I would not make this mistake. You're and that's why you go for doing this. Yep, exactly. That's okay. why it becomes defensive. So if you're like, look, I get it. When I become passionate about something, I also want to buy everything for it. Like I, I could totally see where you would make, like where you would do that. I would do that too. Yeah, but, but let's get on the budget. same path towards moderation. Well, and so the way I would finish that sentence is, I love that you're passionate. I get it. I totally could do this exact same thing if I were in your shoes. The challenge is we have this budget that we really need to stick to as a family. And here's why. And so what happens when that doesn't happen is it makes it harder for this thing over here. It makes it harder for a family. It makes it harder for groceries, whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe we just sit down and talk about like, what are our priorities? Maybe there's places we could cut that neither of us care about in our yeah. budget, you know, that would allow for you to be doing what you're doing, but and right now I would finish, not yet I would, done that. <laughs> and I'd finish off with your feelings. And so what happens is, and, and a great feelings sentence, come last. You said empathy, uh, empathy, is empathy always first. situational, like facts, and then fe- your and, own feelings. And, and so this, and then I would okay. also, um, at this time when you're expressing your feelings, you know, I would definitely use words that make it clear that you're not saying you're making me feel this way, which also puts someone on the defense. It has to be, but you can use words like the story I'm telling myself is that you don't really care about me at all. Or the way that I interpret that is that you could care less. The way this is making me feel. That's putting it on them. Right. So that's like, you're so, and and you're not, but the interpretation is I'm making you feel that So, Mish, we need you to add like a list of like the ways (laughs) you can award this, like top 10 ways you can express feelings you're having to a spouse or partner or person in general that will not put them on the defensive. This should be a thing that we all have access to. I mean, because it's difficult. It's very difficult. And instinct is not necessarily what breeds. And you can't, you can't have those conversations in the heat of the moment because you won't be able to be that level-headed about it. It definitely right. has to come You're after right. some reflection. Um, and and the way that I help Not myself too much reflection because then you'll breed like distance. Like that's also something I've learned. Like if I don't say anything about it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait until I'm cooled off. But then I keep waiting and I keep waiting and I keep waiting. It's like, I never discuss it, but it's down there. Well, it- it is going to create distance when you're processing your own emotions as it should, because it's a you thing. You, you are responsible for processing okay. your own emotions and it's not their job. So like you are going to have to kind of hibernate for a little bit and work through that stuff or with a therapist or, or, or a professional or your own journal or a friend. Um, and that's natural. That's what we have to do. It's not our spouse's job mm-hmm. to deal with every single thing we think or feel that's on right. us. So like, I think there's nothing wrong with stepping away and saying, I need to just process this. And even if you said that, like, I'm feeling really triggered and emotional and I just need some time 
to myself so I can figure it out because I don't even right. know how to communicate it. I don't even know how to talk to my about my needs right now. And I just want to make sure that I, I say exactly what I want to say or what I mean. And that's, I think, a respectful thing, right? Okay. I, I, I agree with every single thing you're saying. My only last question is when I was growing up, I remember people saying, oh, when you're in person, like it can be nag, nag, nag. Like if you're, if you're harping on like your husband or whatever. So they said, maybe you just write a letter. Or maybe you just write it down, right? And then then they can read it at their own pace, you know, at their own calmness, whatever. They can really reflect on it more. Now I feel like we all go towards the text or the email, you know, and now I feel like a lot of tone gets lost. Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you suggest out of the two? Like in person, on a phone call, in a text, in a letter? I what's the well, best route? If we're talking about women, um, there is research that shows that men listen the best when they can be in a profile. So like driving is a great time to have a conversation. They're also, you know, can't go anywhere. That's good to know. (laughs) I never knew that. That's, I mean, that's great intel. Yeah. And you'll notice like, I mean, I don't know about everyone else's significant others, but I've noticed when I'm conversing with Nick, a lot of times he will just kind of sit sideways towards me. I don't know if he does it intentionally or not. Um, but like, also, look at me, look at me. Yeah, no, I know it used to really frustrate me, but I actually learned that the, that's actually a better way for them to listen. That's just okay. a little tidbit there, but um, there, it, there like are times that. It's, it's easy and we do it a lot. Like, and I will say that the, the best conversations come after some connection time. It's kind of like the best time for me to, to self-reflect is after I do a yoga or meditation, because I'm just in a better state of mind. So it's kind of like, so a lot of times these conversations for us happen in the hot tub. We're sitting in the hot tub, we're talking, we're connecting. Um, and then it's kind of like, hey, you know, we're both, we're both already in a good space. We already have rapport in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, let's talk about this. Um, so that's a great time for me. But there's also been many times when it's been something more, mm, let's say repetitive that I do better mm-hmm. with an email. Um, you know, I, I don't know we why. talked but about for- this 18 times and I'm still feeling frustrated. Things like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's good. I wouldn't word it that way. I will ever, say, I yes. no, I know, but the general idea of that being your thinking, obviously you need to be more tactful yes. in how you, how you convey it. But I will say that yeah. my parents are, have been happily married for a very long time and they, they are adamant about taking one road trip every six months together. Oh yeah, there you go. Because they feel like when you're in the car for that amount of time and, and defenses are down. You yep. can both plan your, your next six months out together in terms of what do you want to see come of this? What do I want to see come of this? How does this work together and how does it differ and how can we fix that? Um, I think it, it's, uh, it keeps you on the same communicative page when it comes to goal achievement, yeah. which is important within a marriage. I would think all of the things that you are offering us right now to me are just super helpful in and of themselves, but like all together, it's like living my best life. Um, I'm going to do the final one and I'm going to try to do this. Okay. So you're going to share the voicemail. Stop my video, but I'm going to go on to share my uh, computer audio. And then I'm sharing the voicemail now. Hopefully when I say now, it meant just a minute. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Oh, in a moment. Yep. Sorry guys. Bear with me. I'm new to, um, it's our first one. Okay. I'm new to the back office. Okay. Um, here we go. Ready for it? Let's see if you can hear it. Ready for it. Hi, Mish. I am struggling with raising a 17-year-old daughter in a male-dominated sport and keeping her confident and safe. 
I hope this is a good question that gives you something to answer. Have a good night. Bye. I love okay, it. What a so fantastic Now I'm going to uh, mute myself and you go on to answer that one. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you that I don't know if you would consider this to be good news or bad news, <laughs> but when it comes to our children, um, any question like this always comes down to um, modeling, um, which I feel like is almost why uh, parenting is so hard, but also why parenting can become our greatest gifts. Because whenever you look at your child and you think, man, I really hope they have this or that or, or, or this way or that way, um, the answer is always you. So children, even adult children, always watch their parents um, and learn through their parents. So whatever you're modeling is what they're going to emulate. Or sometimes what happens is if the modeling is really poor, they'll do the you know, drastic opposite. Um, but generally, the modeling is going to be the easiest solution. It's also not something you have to worry about like, I need to make sure I sit down and have this conversation and make sure they do this or that. Like, it eliminates all of that um, because what it really comes down to is who you are and the energy you're putting out. So even when our kids kind of falter, um, like, let's say they're having some hard time, it's middle school, it's high school, and they're kind of floundering and you're like, oh man, I really hope that they come out of this and become confident and all of that. As long as you're modeling that, even if they're having some tough times, if they have that as a foundation, then they will come to that eventually. It might be difficult in the tough adolescent years, um, but having that uh, energy present and strong around them is going to be all the difference in the world. Now, we can't be everything for our children. That's impossible. So when you know there is something that you lack and you can't just snap your fingers and, and have that instantly, then I would recommend you know, making sure that you place someone in your child's life that can model that. Um, whether that is someone in your, your life, like friend, family member, or a professional. You know, I don't ever fault my parents for not having all of the qualities that I would have loved to see modeled. But what would have been really helpful is if they would have provided me with someone who could have taught or modeled those things to me. Um, that way it wasn't on them to like drastically change who they are if they didn't want to or couldn't. Um, but it still allowed me to see like, oh, this is what that looks like. This is what that feels like. This is, you know, this is what it would be like to be a confident person, um, which wasn't available to me in my home. Um, so I try to do that with my son as much as possible, like notice the spots where I'm maybe lacking and then trying to place those people around him in his life because we don't have to be everything for our kids. But the things that you feel like would really be a positive change for both you and your kids, what a great opportunity to now make those changes within yourself to then trickle down into your own children. So I'd say you don't have to worry too much about like, raising your children to do a lot of things. Um, they're watching you all the time. And as much as you can place them around great people, the, the better off you'll be. You said you don't have to worry too much, but them watching me all the time makes me worried. <laughs> what? No, I mean, like at the end of the day, you know, I don't watch me like do as I say, not as I do is kind of how I feel. I mean, that's not how it's it not works. Work. I know, um, I know, I know, I know. And I will say the biggest thing that you've also taught me is that you're going to mess up as a parent, oh, right? Yeah. You're not perfect, but the art of apologizing to your kids and admitting when you've messed up, right? It goes a long way with these, these little guys. 
You're they're the like, authoritative mom figure. is not perfect. No one is perfect. It's okay that I'm not perfect. Yeah. What matters is my ability to acknowledge it, reflect on it, uh, append or, you know, amend anything that I've caused because of it and try to do better. And, and that yeah, is what and also the, the authoritative figure, whether it's your parents, your doctor, whoever you see as an authority figure, typically their words have so much weight. And so one thing we can do for our children is make sure that they know that authoritative figures are not magical, right? Like their, right. their word is not, you might have to respect us, but it doesn't mean we're omniscient or, or like completely right. All the well, time, and their right? words don't matter more than your own thoughts and feelings. So when you have a, a thought that goes against your parents or your, your doctor or somebody authoritative, it doesn't mean that yours is wrong just because they are technically in that position. So the more that you as a parent show that, like, you know what, you're mm -hmm. right about this. Valid. Your, your feelings are valid. And whether or not that's conducive to our, our family lifestyle right now, your feelings might be valid that you feel angry at your sister and want to hit her. It's just not conducive to a happy, peaceful lifestyle. So you have valid feelings. Okay, but we have to figure well, out how feelings, to process them, right? Feelings are always valid all the time, no matter what. But I'm more talking right. about thoughts. Like if you, you're like, for example, I could teach a child, you know, dieting doesn't work. And then if their parent says, or their doctor says dieting works, their, those words will trump that child, the, the words because that of I, the authoritative, like authoritative role, yep. unless you teach your child that authoritative people are also wrong and that your gut is what matters most. So if someone says something over here and that really mm -hmm. resonates with you intuitively, that mm -hmm. trumps this authoritative potentially's role or, or yeah, words. Yeah, to so be like honest, I had this situation, Mish. I had uh, my oldest daughter had a math teacher who was just going through, I guess, her own stuff, you know, and she was just not her best self towards the class that year. And she fundamentally made my daughter believe that like she was bad at math, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and she took that with her as truth and fact. Exactly. And I was like, you are not bad at math. You are a very intellectual person. Like you are very good at things you put effort towards. You can be good at math. I don't know who put this false narrative in your head. And then I came out of pulling and pulling and pulling information out of her. I came to figure out because she saw the teacher as the authoritative person who had all the answers, if she made it seem like I'm bad at math, I must be bad at math. Right. Mom, you don't, you're not good at math. So what would you know? Cause she's right. I'm not. And, that, so, and teaching your children. And this is actually another great point to the question that we received by voicemail is teaching your children how to trust their intuition, which is a muscle that they have to um, actually rep and exercise because it's scary to trust your intuition as an adult. Imagine how scary it would be to trust your intuition as a child, um, where you, you, everybody in the world might not treat you like you have something important to say. And you could be in situations where people downplay the importance of anything you have to think or feel or say. So teaching our children that at the end of the day, your own intu intuition literally trumps everything, even me. Yeah. And I think that's a super important lesson that, that sets them up for success in the future. Because if they're trusting their intuition, when somebody says something like that teacher says you're bad at math, if they have intuition, that's like, that doesn't feel right. Why would I be mad? Because I had a bad test. Cause I had a bad grade. Doesn't make, that doesn't make sense. It's not true. Right. Like I, I sucked at cornhole today. I don't suck at cornhole. 
You know, I can yes. be good, but you, it, but as an adult, that's difficult for me to remember. Yeah. So it's like, if they, if they have as, that as insecure, like middle schooler. What right. Exactly. Like. And, and obviously I didn't have those skills either at that age, but if, if I did, then I would have at least allowed things. Like I was telling you guys, when I give advice is to, is to try them on. We want to teach our children mm-hmm. to try things on even things we say, which I know like can put us in a situation where we're worried about disobedience. But honestly, if your children are blindly obeying, that's not a great situation either. Yeah. You don't want right? to breathe that either. Yeah. And really I mean, even, even just choose. getting in the car by seven twenty, or, or in time to get to school without hectic chaos. Like I try lots of things. Like you will be punished if you're not at the front door by this time, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or let's try to lay everything out the night before, you know, there's no reason we shouldn't be there. At the end of the day, what I figured out is it works better if we leave at 725 and then there's no <laughs> arguments. <laughs> Freaking five minutes solved everything. But I, once I, I had to let my brain process that it doesn't have to be so black and white, like I had planned, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and why are we not getting out the door? Well, because in order for them to feel like they're well rested, they need these five extra minutes of sleep or whatnot. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it, I don't know what it's about, but all I know is life changed for the better when we gave and, those extra five a, minutes. That's, that's a great time for you to show your children how much they matter and how there isn't this huge authoritative yeah, right I'm rarely right trust so me if you yeah. ask your children in these situations what do you think you know would solve this problem right how, why how are we having these issues talk to me or what, <laughs> exactly. what's your suggested solution for this um and showing right. that it's what not do you think is a voice. fair rule regarding what time we're all in the car for even school, consequences you know? you know like what, what do you think is a fair curfew they might laugh at you at first but but really sit there and be like tell me like what do you think is a fair yeah. curfew? and what should happen should y'all you, not yes. be at the car at the time we've now all agreed on? What What is right. fair? I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be punitive, but I'm just trying to get us all to school on time, you know? Um, <laughs> it's a hard thing. I think that this has been so fundamentally helpful. It gives a great peek, sneak peek into what Mish can offer about any topic. My biggest thing is just please know that if you guys were to call or text in, you know, earlier in the week, so anytime between when you see this and the following Saturday, it will allow us time to reach back out to you to hopefully be able to some of you who are, who are willing to come on and actually be like, like I'm going back and forth with, with Mish about these topics. I'd rather not be the person to do it because I'm not the one who initially came up with the question. I'd rather it be you if you're willing. So reach out to us, text message or voicemail. Give your question. Let me reach back out to you and say, hey, you willing to come on and actually have more of like a Dr. Laura, Dear Abby type of back and forth type of conversation um, with her? Because I think there's question, follow up questions for each of these initial questions that I can't even speak to because it wasn't my question to begin with. So right. I would love that. I'd, I'd love for y'all never to see me except for in the beginning of all of this. Um, <laughs> that's the goal. Um, but anyway, I hope you guys got some kind of idea of what we're trying to do here with Mondays with Mish and Mish, your brilliant mind. Oh, thank you so much. I can't even say it's my brilliant mind. I really, truly feel like there is a spiritual component of um, just getting you asking you guys putting out the questions and being brave enough to do so, which allows mm-hmm. the solutions to come through. Uh, sometimes me, sometimes not me, but um, oftentimes I can I can really kind of tap into what you're needing to hear. Um, due to your bravery and courage and vulnerability. So, and really, these questions, it's, it's, I guarantee you, 
that you might hesitate to ask, you are helping so many more oh, who have the same that. question. Yeah, absolutely. Just takes one to ask it. Yeah, exactly. So thanks so much, guys, and keep them coming. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys.